Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ali joins us today and he puts it all out there in this episode. Yes, he does, which you will find out in many ways we mean this, but this episode is full of so many laughs. We spend most of this episode actually laughing and we hope that you do too, but the core of it is surprisingly relatable for us therapists. Absolutely. What would you do if you were an exposure therapist and your client asked you to help him with his phobia of urinals. And if you think that is the most surprising part of this story, you will have to keep listening because it's not. So tune in and just remember that this is not a substitute for ethical guidance, clinical consultation, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 40 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Ali, welcome so much to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. A little we scared, are... too. A little scared. <laughs> Don't be scared. <laughs> I think you should be. I, uh, we're, we're an intimidating crew. <laughs> yes, we are very intimidating people. <laughs> 
I mean, when I when I first got your email, I was like, "This is going to be an interesting recording," mm-hmm. um, and so I've been, I've been super looking forward to it. Awesome. So before we get into your situation, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Ali Matu. I am a clinical psychologist by training. Uh, I love treating anxiety disorders, and I did that throughout my career when I was in New York City. Um, A few years ago, my family, we moved back to California, where I kind of grew up, born and raised, and since then, I've been doing a lot of stuff that is a little unusual for a therapist, so I've been working at a mental health startup, and I've also been doing a lot of work on my uh, YouTube channel um, where I make mental health fun and easy to understand. Um, so that's that's kind of a little bit about myself. If people want to know more about the practice stuff, though, I worked with mm, kids, adolescents, and adults, but my jam is always uh, teenagers and young adults, the people who mm-hmm. don't want to see me. I love seeing them. I I'm the same way. So I I have um, grown this referral network here in Connecticut where people send me referrals for the people who don't want to be in therapy. And they are usually my best clients. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I Well, because you're never really bored. Mm-hmm. And um, there's always something when there's like resistance or ambivalence. I feel like there's always something to work with. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. In my experience, teenagers, they, they just so crave authenticity and honesty. And I, I love I love being able to be that person. So, yeah, that's who I am. That's my therapy stuff. Now, I'm here on the other side. I appreciate that. But I also believe that maybe you've had something to do with teen mom. Is that accurate? <laughs> yes. Teen mom? Yes. I, that's why Allie told me not to look you up. I love teen mom. All right. I was um, – this was, this was, I don't know, 20 – 17 2018 something around there um yeah team mom reached out and mtv reached out and they wanted to know if i'd be interested in being on a live reunion special and so i was like what does this entail uh and they were they were looking for someone who could who could speak to some of the mental health uh challenges of being a parent as well as having a parent who's kind of involved in your, in your stuff. And so, um, I was, I was actually, uh, here's a theme here. I, I was quite ter- terrified of that too. Um, cause I had never, I'd done TV stuff before, but I'd never done anything live and it was a live mm-hmm. reunion special. And so I was, um, I was pretty terrified. And so they, they flew me out <clears throat> And um, I remember right before we were recording, <laughs> right before we were recording, I was in the green room and I uh, it was like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. or something like that uh, on, a, on a weekday. And I was really tired, but I didn't want a coffee because I was going to get on a flight and take a red eye back. Mm-hmm. So I asked the production assistant, I'm like, hey, can you like grab me a Coke or something? And he's like, you, do you do you, do you want cocaine? <laughs> and I was like, N- no. <laughs> No, no, no. No, I'm just looking for a Coca-Cola. Like a little caffeine. He's like, oh, 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 okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got I got you. I got you. I got you. Oh my gosh. How Hollywood of you. I know. I know. Well, thank you for hearing that. Yeah. A little offer. Oh goodness. Well, again, thank you for hearing that. That is probably the most It's the most random experience on my on my resume. Absolutely. 
It stands out, though. So thank you for telling us about that. And again, we love hearing about your practice, the clinical work, but we could not not ask since we have you with us. But we could spend a whole podcast talking about those things. But tell us what story you're going to share that made you question if you were a bad therapist. Oh, gosh. I uh, So anxiety is my jam. I do a lot of... um, a lot of exposure therapy. I treat a lot of stuff like social anxiety, panic disorder, um, all the all the high nerves stuff, phobias, all of that. But my um, my greatest love in the anxiety disorders has always been treating OCD. And I think the reason for that is when I was an undergrad, I just I signed up for the most the the only the first available clinical experience I could get as an undergrad, which was this OCD clinic. And I got to volunteer there and I got to see how OCD is treated. And it was just so amazing for me to see people who were really struggling, really impaired, come in, come into this clinic and then go through this intensive program and on the other side be able to do all the daily activities that they could do. I was like, this is great. This is what I want to do. And so I was I was training to to do this in, in grad school and I was working at a um, at an anxiety site and I had um, one of my first OCD patients I was working with and this person had um, a lot of concerns about contamination from different surfaces so a big problem for him was uh, going to the coffee shop uh, he would not want to touch anything and his fear would be that he might he might contract AIDS and then transmit AIDS to people just by mm. kind of touching um, different surfaces. So this this guy, he was really, really struggling, uh, my client. And um, as is the case with anxiety, his world got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we did all that exposure work, getting him comfortable with all of the, I don't know if he ever got comfortable, but he he learned how to manage the distress of being in those situations, not doing his compulsions, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we'd been working on that for like three, four months. And he said, Ali, I feel really good about this. I think we've made a ton of progress. There's just this one other thing that I haven't told you about. And you know, when someone says oh. that to you, you're like, oh, oh. what is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's either something totally benign mm-hmm. that the person thinks is really um, unusual, but you're mm-hmm. like, I'm a therapist. I've heard it all. This is nothing, right? It's either something like that or something really bad where you're like, I need to call a supervisor about this. Yes. Uh, right? <laughs> like, um, I could tell you another story on another podcast about one of those times I did have to do that. And I kind of regretted even asking the question. But um, here he said... So there's another part to my OCD. I can't use public restrooms. And I said, oh, okay. Is it is it similar to what we've been working on, like surfaces? And he's like, eh, kind of. See, the thing is, when I go into a public restroom, I get really afraid of getting splashback. And so I was like, what, what is what is splashback? And he said, it is when you're standing at a urinal 
and um, there's another urinal right next to you. Now, for those of you who have not used a urinal before, they're like standing toilets. Yes, <laughs> Catherine. Yes, like, you're two I would hosts like to know here. More about you. <laughs> yeah, Please, yeah, yeah, give yeah, me the yeah. layout. Give me the layout. How does it flush? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, not yeah, been around a, a lot of urinals. I grew up with sisters. Help me out. This is I, I, I've come to understand this about this story that I, I need to explain the urinals. So when you go to most public this is never the case in a home right i don't know anyone who has a urinal in their yes. home although i'm sure there's people who might who maybe have them i mean they can be useful i guess uh <laughs> but uh most of the time when you go into a um a male restroom there will be like one stall or maybe two stalls and those are the same for most bathrooms those stalls look just like they do everywhere else However, there's usually a wall of urinals, and I guess they do this to save space or to have more, like, to be able to squeeze more things in. I don't know, but these things range in quality, but it's usually a wall apparatus that you can stand and urinate into. Um, Now, the worst are, like, at... A, um, a stadium. Um, the worst one I ever saw was at the 49ers stadium, the old 49ers stadium uh, for San Francisco 49ers. It was just like this trough. Oh, boy. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a trough for boys who had yeah. apparently horrible aim. Um, the worst ones are also like any elementary school uh, wow. uh, boys urinal is absolutely disgusting because nobody i don't know if it's for fun or not aiming properly but there's there's a lot of urine and most of it is not landing inside the urinal um but sometimes they have a little barrier a little privacy barrier sometimes they have no barrier and so uh there's there's quite a range to how much you are exposed how much privacy you have and how close you are to the next person next to you who's who's peeing. So this is it's a bit of a, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening and it's all happening out there in the open. And and this is this is a urinal situation. And there, it's also sounds like the urinal situations are inconsistent. So your client yes. would go to any particular place and not know what urinal situation they're walking into. Totally, Catherine. And so, like, if you have anxiety right. and you have all that uncertainty, it's it's a very um, it's a very nerve wracking experience. Yeah, totally. You know what? I can relate at least the the uh, anticipatory anxiety to when mm. I was a new mom and I was going to an, uh, a place that I'm familiar with. But I have a baby for the first time. I'm a little anxious. Do they have a changing table? Where am I going to nurse? I'm a little anxious about like that kind of situation. Now, once I was changing them, I was not anxious. So I can only imagine that the anxiety for your client built and built, you know, not knowing what to expect and then having to go do it. I can relate to the beginning Mm -hmm. piece. Absolutely. And then you're also kind of sizing up places based on what you know about the bathrooms. Like, do I want to go there? Do I not want to go there? I had that same experience this past weekend. Um, I have a eight-month-old, mm. and um, 
I went to a restaurant with no, I, I scoped out all the bath. They had three bathrooms, no possible changing things. Right. So I just kind of looked at him and I'm like, all right, we're doing this on the ground. <laughs> um, I guess that's all we got. Um, which is Been there, very, done that. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yep. like, okay, we're, we're going to wash these clothes. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he says, I'm worried about splashback. And that is when you're standing at a urinal, you are peeing into it and, um, you are either your own pee splashes back at you, which is not what he was worried about. He was cool with his own pee, like bring it on, I guess. Uh, all the splashback is, is, is great. Um, but he was concerned about the person next to him, no barrier, or even with a barrier, somehow he's peeing, and the person next to him, that person's urine is splashing somehow and making a jump onto him. And now he might have AIDS. All that kind of stuff. Can so, I jump in with a clarifying yeah. question? Yeah. Does I'm happy to talk pee-pee. All day. <laughs> I can do this all day. Just wait until your eight-month-old son is talking pee-pee. It's going to be a oh topic of dinner conversation like my household. Oh my um, does splashback from other people happen? Is that uh, is that a common thing? I, it, um, in in the really terrible, um, is it a common thing? It's like every day, hey man, uh, you're really splashing back on me a lot today. Um, okay. No, no man, no men don't often talk about urinal experiences. That's another part of. I, we haven't even talked about urinal code, but I think urinal code will come up in the story. Um, the code is usually if all the urinals are open. And you go to the one that is, you know, to a side or in the middle. But if the next person who comes, they stand furthest away from you. And it's like it's like riding Southwest, you know, like you kind of you take the window seats, you take the aisle seats. The last seats that are taken are the like the middle seat. Mm -hmm. Like no one wants a middle seat. Right. Same thing with the urinals. No one wants Mm -hmm. a middle seat right between two people unless it's all full. And that's the last one. And you got to go. Although some some people will avoid that middle seat urinal until there's more room. But is it um, your question, Catherine? Is it a common problem? I would say in the really terrible urinals. Yeah. So like at the at the, at the football stadium, you would totally get splash back because it's just a bunch of people crowding around this trough peeing in all directions. That was like there's people in front of you peeing on the sides like that thing was just just hor- the worst I've ever seen in my life. In most urinals, like at a restaurant, uh, at at an airport, um, no, I think it's not really an issue because they're okay. or, or at a mall, they're they're spread apart enough, and there's usually a little tiny barrier. The older the urinal, more likelihood of a splashback. The more gotcha. new it is, nah. So not completely out of the question, but definitely improbable for this patient's current you know lifestyles he's not going to the 49ers games a lot right yeah and so the problem here is also if you have difficulty using urinals that means you often have to wait for a stall and there's often less stalls Mm -hmm. and there might be a line for those stalls so if all you have to do is pee and there's a big line for stalls for people who need to do more than pee or for whatever reason, need the stall, you might be waiting a long time. 
um, it, that's that's a, a a big problem for for my patient is um, it's it's again limiting his life, and mm-hmm. so he will he won't go as f- he won't stay out as far or go as mm. far away from home because he wants to be able to have that safety of returning home to urinate instead of kind of venturing far out there. And so you're probably wondering, like, all right, well, why is this? You know, why did you think about a bad therapist? So he says all this, and then he says, I think the perfect exposure exercise is going to be for you and I to go to a bathroom, for you to pee right next to me, and for me to sit with that uncertainty of maybe I'm getting splashback. I'm moving around in my chair because just that (laughs) request is making me so uncomfortable. I guarantee you it made me more uncomfortable because here's the thing is uh, he did not know this, but I had a massive urinal phobia. I stop. I, <laughs> I For am anyone not... listening, you need to go watch the YouTube video to see Catherine's face. I will say I have had the pleasure of hearing some of this story, so I'm not as shocked. But I mean, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I um. It was probably my worst nightmare. And I say that as an anxiety therapist. <laughs> it was it was like you could not script out a worse thing for me to do with a patient. Um you know, I could do I could do spider phobias, I could do uh, fear of heights stuff. I could do uh, I I I could and have done all sorts of things that most many therapists not most but many therapists would probably cringe at this was this would be on the top of my list of no i i just can't do this because Catherine and Allie, i could not do this i could not do this i literally my body would clamp up muscles would tighten just thinking about going to urinal and i could not pee so not only is this person asking me to face my fear, but he's asking me for to oh be able goodness. to perform, <laughs> and, and like to urinate, which I cannot do right now. And if you say no, you're reinforcing his fear that it's something to be scared of. Right. And so, so what am I? Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. This is very mm-hmm. complicated. This is very complicated. <laughs> and, and and so what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, like I'm sorry John Smith. Let me let me ask my supervisor if he'll stand next to you and pee right next to you. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh and and I was also a grad student who really wanted to impress my supervisors and stuff and I didn't want to go to my supervisor and be like you know, uh, Dave, I, I have a, a, a PP problem that is preventing me from the care of my patient. No, I'm not going to do that either. Now, Ali, hold on. You'd prefer to go to your supervisor and impress them with the fact you peed next to your client? Yes. yes. All right. Just checking the hierarchy of impressiveness. All right. This is the, the grad school mm-hmm. logic at work mm-hmm. is, oh, just push, repress any, like, any ignorance anything that might make me feel like i don't know what i'm doing because i have all that imposter syndrome i must be able to pee and produce splashback for my patient i must do this the unique things we say as therapists i i think about it often (laughs) 
And I'm always surprised even by the things that come out of my own mouth. And I think this is one that goes on the list of things you, I don't think we would, could, could have thought that we'd be saying this. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 and just, this is not what I really signed up for when yeah. I, years ago, I was like, oh, I want to treat anxiety. <laughs> I never thought I would end up in a situation where I'm, I would have to like face my own uh, fears in this way. Um, but yeah, my 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 urinal phobia went back to high school uh, when I was um, a freshman in high school. There was this I mean, this story is so ridiculous. There was this Swedish exchange student. Um, why? Who who really looked like Kramer from Seinfeld yeah. <laughs> looked exactly like Kramer. And I, I found since then that like. His look was is it's not a very classic Swedish look, but this is what this person looked like. And we were both in Latin class together. And in my school, Latin class was sort of the uh, uh, not a joke class, but it was an easy class for seniors to take. Mm -hmm. And I was one of two freshmen in that class who thought, I'm going to go to medical school, so I should take Latin. <laughs> uh, I really regret that. I wish I took Spanish. It would have been a lot more helpful. Uh, but uh, Or French would have been fun because I, I love I love French cuisine, I guess. Latin is totally utter. I, I took four years of it. Completely, not completely useless, but most of the time not very helpful. So I was one of two freshmen, and a bunch of seniors and then this random Swedish exchange student who's like a sophomore or something. And the three of us sat in the back of the class together and we we sort of bonded. We would kid around. We would, uh, whenever we had to like conjugate with a friend, we would practice our conjugations, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, one day, it was, uh, it was right after lunch. Uh, because I went to high school in the 90s, we had super nutritious uh, breadsticks from Pizza Hut and these giant sodas that were um, – that was our lunch. And so I would always have these big sodas at the start of, of lunch. And then by the end, I'd really have to pee. So uh, this particular day, it was when the bell rings, you've got like one or two minutes to get to to get to class. So the bell rang. I ran to the bathroom and I started peeing at the urinal. Big old thing of pee. And um, someone walks in. Not unusual. This is what often happens during these two minutes before classes. Um, warning number one was this person breaks urinal code. All the urinals are open. Um, he stands right next to me. And then rule number two is you kind of look forward. You don't really like look to the side. You're not like checking out to see who's next to you and peeing. Um, you just kind of you're kind of walking with blinders. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and this person I could tell obviously looked over at me and through my peripheral vision, I could tell that this is the. Uh, the Swedish exchange student I was talking about before. And uh, he, and then he says, like, hello, and starts having a conversation. And I'm like, <laughs> hi, because um, it's just awkward, uncomfortable for me. And then um, I hear the sound, you know, this, like, the sound of, like, liquid ricocheting off those those tiles in, uh, in that uh, boy's room. 
and it's getting cl- the pitch is changing and it's it's getting closer and closer and then all i can tell you both is is i just felt this warmth on my leg that was so disgusting and oh, no. he was he was just peeing on my foot and and saying oh ali we are good friends we are good friends this feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Catherine, do you ever wish that you could just sometimes have a friend to talk to about a book? (laughs) Actually, Ellie, no. No, I can't relate to that. I've never never really wanted to talk to anyone about something I've read. However, I am really excited to meet all of our listeners because you all are invited to our first ever free public book club through the Teletherapist Network. I know. I am a bookworm, so maybe that is more niche to me and my interests, but this still is such an amazing opportunity for us to all connect as a community between the Teletherapist Network, our listeners here on Am I a Bad Therapist, and the book is amazing. We are reading Glow in the Effing Dark, Tara Schuster's highly anticipated second book after her first, Buy Yourself the Effing Lilies. If you haven't read Lilies yet, you need to pick it up. And we're going to read Glow together when it comes out at the end of February. So now is the time to register for free for our free public book club. We are going to be having a private community just for therapists to read and discuss Glow in the Effing Dark together. Together. And as a special treat, Tara Schuster herself is going to join us at the end of March for a private book club discussion with just us. Which is amazing. Like, this does not happen. I hope people can realize, no. like, she is such an incredible author. She's huge. Her books are amazing. And the fact that she's going to join the conversation, even if you've never joined a book club, never really wanted to, this is the one to pick up. This is the one to do. And Allie and I personally cannot wait to meet you inside. So register either in the links below or at teletherapistnetwork.com and we will follow up with more information closer to the community's launch at the beginning of March. And now let's circle back to the show. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's, it's like one of those moments where you're just totally like, 
depersonalizing. You're like, what is this happening? Mm-hmm. Is am I a person right now? Is this is this yeah. a movie? Like, what's this going can't on? Be real. This can't be real. This can't be real. P. Yeah. This. Can't- this can't kind of what I, I'm like, this can't be real. Where's the where's like Ashton Kutcher running out to tell me I'm punked? Like, I, yeah, right. This is it's totally Mountain Dew, right? Like, mm-hmm. this right. is not. Yeah, yeah. His pee actually probably looked like Mountain Dew because that was one of the sodas we had. Um, and so I I stop peeing. Um, my heart is racing. I zip up, and then I I run out of there. And what I remember when I was running, I, was, I remember I had these Nikes. Oh, no. And um, I, I remember, like, how squishy the shoe felt because it was, like, it had pee in it now. Um, it was so disgusting. It was so disgusting. And I still had two periods of school. Oh, so gosh. I, like, I think I went to another bathroom and I kind of poured water on my jeans. You're and a my, freshman. Yeah, and I'm a freshman. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Um, so... I I don't I don't remember if anyone noticed. I sure didn't tell anyone that day, and um, I, I I just try to like look away and not look at anyone. Uh, and after that, I couldn't use urinals. Wow. I just I I would get terrified mm-hmm. when I'm around urinals. Um, this is how anxiety works. Uh, mm-hmm. Or a, a little bit of trauma, although I, I it was not it was not trauma. It was definitely like became this urinal phobia thing, um, and so since that day, like I stopped using urinals, and so the time from there to my patient was probably, gosh, uh, mid nineties to the late two thousands, so like fifteen years or so. I just wow. did not use urinals. Never avoided them completely. It never became an issue or a factor until this client. Um, I definitely had to do some creative maneuvering (laughs) in certain situations. Uh, There was definitely times where, like my uh, my college friends, we went to Disneyland once, and they all just went and peed really quickly at the urinals. And then they're all just waiting for me because mm-hmm. I was standing waiting for stalls. I think they I think my friends just thought I have to poop a lot. I think that's what what everyone thought. And I was OK with that, I guess. But there was a lot of maneuvering around um, social situations like that. Um, Interesting. But it was doable. It was totally doable. So you've managed it for 15 years. But then this client wants to work through this. What yeah. went through your mind? How did you handle it? <laughs> I think I had, I think I ha- must have had like a great, I either had a great poker face in, when he told me that, or he was so embarrassed that he was just looking down. Because um, I, I, I do remember him often looking down or looking away as he would make these confessions to me. And I would proceed to tell him, this makes a lot of sense. Validate, reflect back how many other people who have a similar struggle as him also experience this and that, you know, we can we can figure out a way through. I would do a lot of that kind of stuff. I think he was probably looking away because I, I probably just had this look like, hmm. <laughs> yep, eyebrows <laughs> raised, <laughs> silence. <laughs> right, right, right. You know those moments where you're like, you're like thinking what do I say here? Mm-hmm. Um, 
let me not say anything so I can figure out what to say. Because I want to say the right thing, but I also have no clue what the right thing is. That's what I was thinking ah. right there in that moment. Now, um, Ali, I, had this yeah. never crossed your mind knowing that he had a contamination uh, phobia and OCD? It never crossed you. Know, bathroom never. stuff never came up. And huh. and my um my supervisor was someone who said you got y'all you gotta ask about bathroom stuff with OCD you gotta ask, ask about ask have you asked him about wiping ask him about wiping uh. his butt I got a feeling he wipes for an hour you did ask him about about that so I I remember asking him about this and I I knew nothing I don't know what I was looking for in this question but I'm what I remember in my in my initial assessment I said um. So, um, how about wiping your butt? <laughs> like, like, uh, your initial what is that like assessment. He <laughs> yeah, was, was like, "Well, I, 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 I use toilet paper," and I'm like, "Okay, um, about how long does that take?" And he goes, "Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's long." I'm like, and I wrote that sometimes quick, sometimes long, and I said, uh, "Um, okay, um, moving right along." And my supervisor's like, "This is." Like, what does this mean, Ollie? What is quick and what is long for him? Get some minutes, get some time, figure this stuff out. Uh, that was the the extent of what bathroom stuff came up because it was – I thought it was all just public spaces. And in my mind, I didn't mm-hmm. really – at that point, I didn't have the experience to really understand mm-hmm. that public spaces also includes like public restrooms. And maybe I should ask about that. I didn't. I'm sure you ask it every time now. <laughs> urinals what about urinals <laughs> let's talk urinals yeah so what i what i said in that mm-hmm. moment was probably some similar version of like thank you for sharing this we'll figure out a way through let's i think i said like let's collect some data first mm-hmm. um that's kind of my go-to in these kind of situations let's understand the situation first before we move forward um Ooh, to I buy like me that. some time yeah. I might borrow that. I like that. Let's collect data. I, I did a similar thing when I uh, treated a cockroach phobia later on. And that was not because I had a fear of cockroaches, but because I needed to find one to use with my patient. And I had no, at the time, I had no idea where to find a cockroach. Now I know you, uh, you could probably get them at like most pet stores. Not most pet stores, but some pet stores. Um, but uh, I needed to like trap one and find one. And so I needed to buy myself some time. And and uh, it definitely worked in that situation. Oh, my goodness. So you collected some data so you could gather your thoughts as well. <laughs> so was it like how long did you collect this data for? Like what was your process? Did you was this towards the end of a session and then you were able to like process it on your own? Like walk yeah. us through that piece of it. Yeah, it was it was definitely at the end of the session. And it was at one of those sessions where I thought I was done with our treatment. Mm-hmm. Like I thought we were like, oh. not. it wasn't like a last session. Yeah. But I thought we were going to start talking right. about wrapping up. And then, no, there's all this other stuff. Um, so, But it was at the end of the session, so at least he left. And then I think I went to a Panera <laughs> right after that. And I was just sitting there. Uh, I think I got a Fuji apple salad because I Delish. always get that. It's so good. It's so good. I want to eat that now, actually. Um, so I I got that. And I remember just sitting alone and just like thinking like, 
what am I going to do? And this is before like smartphones and all that stuff. So I'm just like sitting there by myself with nothing, just my thoughts and my my salad. It's just like, how am I going to do this? And this is when I'm thinking like, am I a bad therapist? Like, Should I be able to do this? What's wrong with me? Why am I even doubting myself? Which is like me being very uh, invalidating of myself, right? Like, what's, like, it's okay. I'm allowed to have my own issues, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It it took me much longer to get to that kind of point of view. But that's that's where my my headspace was at the time. Like, what am I going to do? And, uh, like, how did I miss this? And what's what's wrong with me all that kind of stuff i can't and you know i don't know if all of our listeners can relate to a urinal phobia but if you can't (laughs) i'm sure you can relate to other fears because i can imagine like with the cockroach i'm sure there are plenty of therapists out there who are either disgusted or even have a phobia of cockroaches or spiders or snakes but when you are an anxiety therapist who does exposure therapy and your phobia or fears or discomfort is getting in the way of treatment i love this conversation because i there's so much we can laugh about it but there is some (laughs) really good gems underneath the underneath the surf underneath the urinal here (laughs) Many years later, one of my supervisees had a snake phobia and Uh had a patient with a snake phobia. So this story, we started talking about it. And I said, also, good job telling me because I didn't do that. I didn't tell my supervisor. And now I know a great way to approach this is to do some disclosure and say, like, you know, this this is going to be a little difficult for me, too. And it's uh, it's good modeling mm-hmm. to show that this is something, you know, we all have our stuff and we all can work on it. But that is not what that is not what I did. Um, I did not disclose anything. I did not talk to my supervisor. You went through it on your own. So you you and your salad, you're thinking about it. So on your own, how did what did you arrive at? Did you decide to push through it? Like, what was that decision you made? So I could not just push through it. Right. Like, I, I had to be able to pee. Right. Which was so frustrating <laughs> with this. Is like, so you can, uh, you can hold your pee in until you can't, and then you'll just pee in your pants, right? What you can't really do, unless you are so, so full of fluid, you can't just stand at a urinal and eventually... You're just going to pee if you have this urinal phobia. Maybe if you're like so f- your bladder is so full. But I, I, that seems so painful. And so like I don't want to. And I think about the timing. Like how could you time that? Just that doesn't seem like a solution. <laughs> you guys are hanging out for hours at the urinals waiting for you to pee. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, I, yeah. That would have been that would have been That's exposure practical. for all um, of for both of you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more ways than one. Um, and then, you know, I thought about, <laughs> I think I told a friend this, and they're like, why don't you grab a little tiny squirt gun and pull that out of your pocket and secretly just, like, spray the urinal? <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't sound the same, man. I need, like, a little tiny garden hose or something. Um, so I very quickly decide... I need to I need to just treat myself. 
like not in the parks and recreation sense. I need to like treat my own anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I asked my uh, my roommate at the time was my best friend from childhood. Um, we just both so happened to live in Washington, D.C. at the same time. And so I, I told him all about this and he responded in such a therapeutic way. He's like, well, that makes so much sense. I mean, peeing is so physical. And if you're anxious and your body's all locked up, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to pee. I was like, oh, man, that's a great line. I'm going to use that with my patient. <laughs> um, and so what we we started a journey where we just went all over Washington, D.C., finding urinals and him encouraging me to go pee at them and eventually him uh, standing next to me and and peeing with me. Um, but it was, it, I'm making it sound a lot easier than it was, but it, it was uh, a lot of work and this is what this is when all that um deep diaphragmatic breathing and relaxation skills that i had been teaching my patients i started doing on myself for the very first time because mm-hmm. i i needed to stand at these urinals and what i, I remember this feeling I, w- I would be at the 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 easiest ones for me to do that were absolutely no problem is sometimes you go to like a starbucks and it's only one bathroom, but they have a toilet and they might have a urinal there and you can lock the door. That so easy. Even before this, I would not use those urinals. Even if it was like mm. a single person bathroom and I could lock, I still avoided urinals. So the easiest thing for me to start was with those urinals. Fine. No problem. What was really hard was using a urinal and then when I felt someone walk by... I, I would just clamp up, no more pee, and I would just wait there, and it was it was like it was it uh, it was like this um like spider sense I had where the moment someone would come I would stop peeing and the moment they would leave I would continue to pee and I would just stand there for like sometimes. There were older men who had prostate problems who took forever to pee. And so I'm just standing there waiting for this guy to finish. And he must have been thinking, oh, I get it, man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What do you get at prostate my age? Um, And so, you know, those times were those times were really hard. And I um, I was a socially anxious kid. And so. All that stuff came back where I was thinking, oh, all these all these people at the urinals, they're all judging me. Mm-hmm. They're judging me. Mm-hmm. They're judging my penis. They're mm-hmm. judging my flow of urine. Yeah. They're, everything is exposed. Everything is being judged. I'm doing it all badly, and it's just uh, – it's, it's not good. Um, but all I had to do was be one step ahead of my patient, which is what I did. Um, I stayed it's it's kind of like teaching a class for the first time all mm-hmm. you have to do is be one week ahead of your students <laughs> that's true um and so that's that's kind of what I did and so and and by doing this I was able to scope out bathrooms and so I said hey the first thing I think we should do is let's go to a Starbucks bathroom and basically what I was doing my patient did just like with me nearby um so that's what we did Wow. I, I 
have so many questions about what that was like <laughs> for you to treat your client while being only one step ahead. Was mm. there a lot of transference? How was the empathy? How did it impact your clinical work? It's so interesting because you know his concern was being was experiencing splashback. And my problem is I experienced a lot more than splashback. And so I couldn't pee because of that. And so we kind of had this, like, uh, there was a uh, a shared experience that we were both having because we had these, like, related problems. Um, I was helping him, but in a way he was helping me. Yeah. Um, and so I... I, at first, I never had anger towards him for, quote, putting me in this situation. I had a lot of fear and anxiety and, uh, you know, my the way my mind works, it just turned it back on myself. Like, what's wrong with you? You should be able to do this, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? But once we kind of got into this process, I felt, I felt gratitude towards him because huh. it felt like he could... He could push me. He could motivate me to make a change that no one else was ever going to motivate me to. Um, this isn't something my my wife would uh, – at the time we were dating, um, it's not something that ever affected her. She would just wait if it takes me longer in the bathroom. And it's not like she's using journals <laughs> herself. Like we're, I mean, it, it didn't affect her. Um, my friends never pushed me on it. They're just like, oh, he poops all the time. Um, and so there wasn't really any motivation to address this. Um, it, it, it sat right at that line of this is an inconvenience, but it's not really a disorder because it's not really impacting my life um, or limiting my life. So... I uh, I really felt gratitude because w- when else would I ever find the motivation, the desire, the courage, and the and the payoff to to do mm-hmm. this? So um, yeah, that was kind of what was going in my head. My um, I I also had in 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 terms of like transference uh, and gosh, I wish you know I wish I could. I kind of wish I told him all this stuff. Hopefully you never, he's like... You never disclose to confirm. You never no, disclose to him. Never. No. Wow. See, I was such a I was such a grad student. I, didn't, I, get, I get it. I get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's my, a big weight to carry. Yes. I didn't tell my supervisor. Student. I didn't tell my patient. Um, you know, and now I've like... This story is like... It's out there. And so part of me is like, I hope it, uh, it comes back to him. Because I, I have yeah. this appreciation for him. Um, but no, I never told him. And um, on that day of, <laughs> when we actually did that exposure, where I actually had to um, pee next to him, like leading up to it, what we were doing is we were going to different urinals and just having him stand there. Just that in itself was a pretty big exposure for him because mm-hmm. he avoided going near them. So just going near these things where he knows people have peed was was very, quite difficult for him. That's also how I stayed one step ahead of him. Um, but on on the day where we finally did that exposure, uh, I drank a big 
big glass of water just to give me a little liquid courage there. Um, totally sober liquid courage. But um, we we went to a nearby um, uh, restroom at a restaurant or something. It was it was clean. It was not like a trough. Um, it was it was probably I would say like an average urinal. Uh, not the most privacy, but not totally like all open. And um, he stood there. I stood next to him at the next urinal over. Um, and it took it took a while. Maybe like it, it felt like so much longer, but it was probably like 30 to 60 seconds until I was able to pee. But it felt like forever. Um and once we were, once, once I started, it went and it just kept going. All, all, all the stuff was coming out. And then we went back to my office and we kind of debriefed about it. And he's like, that was, that was a really good exposure. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. And, you know, it was the best part about it was how you held in your pee for a while <laughs> Um, because I didn't know if you started peeing or not. Like those are some really advanced therapeutic skills, Ali. Like you really amped up my uncertainty because I was like, "Did he start yet? Did he start yet? I don't know. He must have started. Maybe there's some splashback. I don't know what am, what's what's happening here. Is it that I just can't hear it? Is that what it sounds like when someone pees right next to you? And then I finally heard you pee, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's just." Ollie is just the best therapist. And I'm like, yeah, that was that was totally according to plan. Uh, little did he know what was going on in my head. Oh, my goodness. I'm just so impressed. That, I mean, you worked through it. But I feel like Catherine was saying earlier, like, <laughs> there is so much humor to this. and But it is so relatable, I feel like, to so mm-hmm. many of our listeners. Because there is that pressure that we often feel, especially early on in our career, but sometimes even later into our careers, like that we should be able to do these things, that we shouldn't have to refer yeah. out. We should be able to treat this thing, but we can't treat every person. But we put that pressure no. onto ourselves and that expectation of like, well, I'm wrong because I can't do this. And we might internalize it like you did and not tell your supervisor, not do any self-disclosure. So I feel like it is, again, very niche, this story, but also super generalized <laughs> and relatable. Um, so what this question, I mean, we can we have plenty more to talk about, but what would you say to somebody like a clinician, either who is fresh as like or in grad school or seasoned, if they feel like a client has brought something up that touches their own stuff? What advice would you give yeah. them based on your experience and now in reflection? Yeah, I think about this in, in terms of uh, the pandemic. You know, the pandemic was a time where so many of us were going through similar struggles as a as a people we work with mm-hmm. and um it it was such a a human time right where you're so exposed you're so you're on camera you're um people are seeing into your homes we're seeing into their homes and we're going through the similar stuff and uh i i think about that time and i i, I think it's Everything was so um, so apparent then, and it's usually not. Like we don't walk around with a list of our anxieties, uh, things that really put our mood into a spiral, um, our trauma histories. Like we don't do that. I did have a a, a patient of mine once said, um, "I should just 
I should just make a PowerPoint presentation because I switch therapists so often. It would just be so much easier just to kind of go through this. Um, this is when I was a trainee and they, were, they came to a trainee site. And so they had a new, new, patient, new um, clinician every year. Uh, but what I would say to people is that you don't usually walk around with a list of all the things that you you might struggle with. But we all struggle with something. And if you go into this field, it's only a matter of time until you start working with someone who is also struggling with something that's similar to you. Mm-hmm. Um there was another time in my life where I was at a counseling center and I, I saw a student who was really homesick and I was really homesick at the time. I didn't tell my supervisor then either. And that patient ended up firing me because she felt like we just didn't connect, which is fine, which is fine. Like there might have been a hundred different reasons why we didn't connect. Um, I think it was that one. Um, <laughs> and so or another way to think about it is if you work with one person long enough, it's probably only a matter of time mm-hmm. until they go through something that might be kind of um, um, hitting close to home for you. So what I would say is like you're only human and we need our own help. And whether that is talking to a colleague, going to your own therapist, talking to a supervisor, all of those things are a great source of support. And um, we have to be able to, it's okay not to be able to treat everyone. It's okay not to be able to treat um, everything that your your people are going through. Um, we have to take care of ourselves. Um, there's no way, there is no way to do this job if you're not taking care of yourself. You can't take care of others if you're, if you're not taking, this is, it is a, um, a really, really difficult job that demands so much out of you that yeah. you, you have to be um you you really have to be on top of of your own mental health mm-hmm. proactively yeah and i just Proact- have to absolutely yeah huge shout out because the real hero in my opinion of this story is your friend who, when you disclose something so personal that you've <laughs> never told anyone else, even the people you were supposed to tell, you didn't tell, and he or she stepped, I guess, either way, stepped up in a he, big yeah. way and took you to urinals all around the city, yeah. stood next to you, like, huge shout out, hero of the story is that friend, I think. Absolutely. My buddy, um, his name's Lowen, he's, uh, he's been a lifelong friend, and uh he said absolutely the right thing, which is he listened, he validated, he was compassionate, and he, he sort of said, how can I help? Yeah. Um, what more and he can did. He followed through. And he did. He showed yeah. up. He showed up. That's amazing. Well, again, this story, so funny. Like, so so many laughs, <laughs> so much good humor. But again, very relatable, I think, for our listeners. <laughs> well, Ali, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is on my YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash at D-R-A-L-I, that's Dr. Ali, that'll get you to me. Um, or you can just uh, search Ali Matu on, on YouTube, that'll that'll get you to me. But yeah, um, come say hi over there, um, and I'd, I'd love to stay connected. Well, thank you again so much for the laughs. We needed this. This is so fantastic. I can't wait for everyone to listen to this. But thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. 
make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.